Under Tablets the podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Under the Bridge the podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode. My name is Nelson Latif. Today, I have here with me Michael Wolf, the visionary behind CoBank's creative. He brings over three decades of expertise in web design, development, and management. With a successful track record as a video production company owner, Michael's diverse background includes roles such as creative director, UX designer, web manager, and graphic designer for companies like Telus Advertising, the University of Ledbridge, Kelda Bitmer, and DevBox. Thank you so much for joining us. How yeah. are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. I don't even know where to begin with you, to be honest. Uh, but let's start with CoBanks. Sure. Uh, CoBanks is an area in the city that was once a hub for coal mining. Um, and it played a significant role in shaping the growth and development of Leadbridge, right? Yeah. Can you tell me more about the significance uh, of the name CoBanks to your brand? Yeah. So CoBanks is just a nod to our history. Uh, Lethbridge used to be called Coal Banks. Wow. So, uh, and so the heritage of this area is important to me. And so that's, that's why Coal Banks. I tried to dig in a little bit about Coal Banks. Sure. And I find, I found, uh, for the love of Lethbridge. Yeah. That is quite synonymous to the name. Yeah. Coal Banks. Yeah. Cause I, I just been thrown everywhere now. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What is, sure. how did that come about? Sure. So For the Love of Lethbridge is really, it's a campaign that we worked on with the city of Lethbridge. Um, most famously, I guess, uh, at the mayor's breakfast and other events, they've been showing it. It's an HR spot for the city. Um, and it's really a local pride piece. And it's, it's about, um, and for us, it was really easy to do because we do love Lethbridge. And yeah. it's a love letter to Lethbridge uh, with a secondary message that says, you know, if you, if you love if you love living here, you'll probably love working here too. Absolutely, you know. And so, uh, by extension, uh, for the love of Lethbridge was something that uh, was collaborated with myself and Miles Conrad, someone I work closely with in Edmonton, also a thirty-year creative, and uh, really that concept came from him and collaborating through us, and obviously the city. And it, you know, it's it's gone on to be something that people have kind of adopted as their own, and yeah. that's great. That's great. You have no issue with no, that. I have no issue with that. <laughs> and I must say you love this city for sure. Um, I was watching uh, um, your your vlog on your YouTube channel or YouTube channel the other time. Yeah. And it was about the Canon Creator Lab yeah. experience at Calgary Library, yeah. right? And I saw you took um, some young photographers and yep. videographers from yep. the city. Yeah. Is that something you do quite often, taking them to wherever yeah. you go? Uh, I guess being an old guy, I feel like uh, mentorship is almost... I don't want to say a responsibility, but something I enjoy. Uh, I love people who are just starting out, who are on fire for what I do, and and you know this this industry, whether it be creating visuals, photo, video, you name it, and and the young people that come and hang out, usually they're. Uh, people that have just contacted me or know me through other social channels or people that I know. And they hit me up and say, you know what, I'm trying to learn this. And can I shadow you? Uh, so I'll, I'll often hook up with people on set as production assistants and sort of mentor them as we go. But when it comes to uh, young people, I just tend to identify in that, in that 20 to 30 year old crowd. Uh, anyone who's kind of on fire about something new allows me to see things through fresh eyes 
And when I can see people experiencing things for the first time, it reinforces what I know mm. because when I, I used to teach at Grant McEwen College. And so I love teaching and teaching for me is really an exercise to see if you know, if you truly know what you're talking about. How do you know someone that knows what they're talking about and someone that's just beating around the bush? Like blowing smoke? <laughs> how, how, how do you know if someone's legit? Like that. Uh, uh, well, you, you can see in their work. Mm. Really, uh, when it comes to the talk, a lot of people can talk, yeah. uh, but really it comes to their work. And the, the, the common thread for me and what I see is, is someone's work imitating something that's online? Are they a mirror of Instagram? Mm. You know, are, are all of the subjects and all the compositions and all the stories they're telling just things they've absorbed from other people yeah. and are just mirroring back to the world? Mm. Or is there a point? Yeah. Is there a story? Is there the, the big, the big thing I can see and, and it sounds a little negative and it's not intended to be, but there's uh, people in the video side of things that are wonderful camera operators and they make beautiful B-roll compositions. And when I say B-roll, I mean, there's an A-roll yeah. with someone talking okay. and usually a B-roll of something okay. illustrating what they're oh, talking. Okay. Right. And so it's fun to put a montage of clips together that, uh, have nothing to do with the story or mm. are just like a moving picture. Yeah. And so I think the legit test mm. is watch someone's video reel and see if they have someone talking or mm. telling a story or if yeah. they have a definitive middle, a beginning or an end. Yes. If they have the whole picture and they're using the medium to tell and relay a story to evoke action, that to me is legit. That is that is so interesting, right? Um, oh, the another angle I can uh, ask you that question would be because um, um, do you perceive the future of photography and videography? Because um, I, I personally I feel like that industry is becoming saturated. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. No. <laughs> what do you What do you think? I don't think you're overthinking. I think competitively. Do you mean like as a business? As a business, okay. as a hobby, even sure. and someone thinking just because I've got a camera now, boom! Yeah. I'm a videographer. I'm a photographer. Well, professional image makers do have to set themselves apart because of how accessible the technology is. That phone is way better than any of the cameras that I used when I started out. The, the ability to create beautiful imagery on something that you have on you 24 hours a day, no matter where you're at, um, is, is impressive. And the software that comes with the phone to make pictures look great yeah. um, really levels the playing field around access to the technology, video or photo. So I think that's part of the saturation, oversaturation. Everybody's a photographer, right? Yeah. Everybody's a videographer. So that's true to an extent. Um, but And we're seeing changes in technology that means that you can create images without a camera mm. with AI and other mm. things. But that's maybe another conversation. But how do you set yourself apart means your intent and how you execute and how you convey human the human experience through the medium. So it becomes a conversation around art and communication and less about gear and mechanical stuff. Um, staying with um, photographers and videographers, yeah. how do you yeah. set yourself apart and stuff? Um, how would you measure success yeah. as a photographer or videographer? And what milestones or accomplishments should they have reached before they can say, um, Mama, I've made it? <laughs> okay, so like, how do you... 
how do you define yourself as successful as a photographer or a videographer? Like what are the, I guess, what are the attributes, right? And really, um, there's many people who do creative things for personal reasons. I think you can, from a, from a personal perspective, you can count yourself as a, as a milestone, hey, I've made it, if you create for simply the act of creating, mm. creating for yourself. Yeah. And that's hard to do in a professional setting because sometimes you've got, you've got client work all day, but the, the people who are successful have a body of personal work and passion projects that aren't attached to dollars. And that's like the first sign that maybe you're going somewhere is that you're doing it not to please other people. You're not worried about what people are going to think about your work. You're doing it because there's a fire inside you that says, I need to make something. So that's, that's number one. I think number two, uh, can you feed yourself? Mm. Can you feed yourself with your work? Yeah. So that becomes another conversation around fine art versus commercial art. But really, if you're doing it professionally, you obviously are doing it for an income. And are you successful? I think the trick there is, can you take the creative side and, you know, meld it into a product that people want mm. and people ask for, but also can you collaborate with a client? Yeah. Can you, if, if, if a client comes to you with a completely different vision, can you work together to realize something that might be greater than the sum of its parts? I mean, that's, that's it. So I guess my second piece without going into a top 10 list yeah. is just simply from a business standpoint, can you solve someone's problem that they came to you with through the medium of photography or videography? Have you added value? Can you make something beautiful? Probably. Can you make convey the message they want to reach the people that they need to do something like a call to action, whether it be feel something or connect with someone or experience something through someone else's eyes. If you can add value like that, then you're a professional. Well, um, thank you. You put it quite perfect. Uh, I followed your work extensively, right? Which I'm sure a lot of thank people you. Yeah, thank as well. you. Uh, and I considered you a geek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am a geek. Yeah. I don't know the difference between a nerd and a geek, but I'll take the label. I'll take the label. Okay, and which is why I want to talk about yeah. artificial intelligence with you, right? Yeah, okay. So um, I know we probably need a whole new episode yeah. to dedicate it to this topic. Sure. You know, uh, but let's touch on it a little bit. Yeah. Um, my first question is, how do you explain or share your knowledge of artificial intelligence yeah. in a simple and digestible way to someone who has no clue yeah. The power of AI. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess people have just started, the average person has just started to be aware that there is maybe the rumblings of change happening uh, and that, you know, the way that we do things with computers and, and, and through industry, it's changing. It's changing rapidly. And, you know, in November, we adopted... Um, a chat-based model that people are using now called ChatGPT. We yep. adopted that early, um, and as a result, I got to, to to use it extensively in my workflow. And really, how do I explain it to someone who's maybe not in the space as a geek is just that uh, artificial intelligence, whether it be machine learning or um, there's there's so many acronyms, but really... Neural networks, AGI, like 
won't get into the the, yeah. the nerdy stuff. Yeah. But really, there's a portion of computer science that is taking computing beyond what we know now and having machines emulate the things that only humans could mm. do before: reasoning, yeah. thinking, yeah. thinking, uh, decision making. These were the domain of the human before, and now there's a little bit of autonomy going on in sort of a, a synthetic intelligence okay. to allow computers to make decisions on their own, mm. whether it be a self-driving car or maybe it's in, in medicine, screening breast cancer data mm. faster than a surgeon mm. can wow. and, and discerning that kind of stuff. There's, there's a million things looking at patterns of migration of animals oh. and predicting things wow. much faster than a human can. So it's sort of like, I'd say artificial intelligence is taking all the good things about what we are and who we are and giving us like an exoskeleton or like a, a superhero, just just like a power-up. We're Mario, right? You, you, giving you a power-up. You you said um, many things in that which I, I'm so like, wow, the the thinking, the but you didn't say feeling. <laughs> I can't say feeling. <laughs> that's no, that's the domain of you and I. Oh, cool. Yeah. My opinion. Yeah. I, I, so I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of AI tools, but I'm an artist and I'm a human. And I believe there's a ton of things of the experience around the human experience and relaying to each, to each other yeah. that um, machines will never have the emotional baggage that makes Did, us that who makes we sense. are. I'm, I'm yeah. happy to hear that. Yeah. Uh, but do you think um, AI is developed and develop and and deployed in a way that is inclusive to benefit everyone in the society, or and not just people in tech and creative yeah. space. Yeah, like um, when we look at the larger, sort of the social good pieces of what artificial intelligence. It's not just a chat interface that can write my essays for me and sail through college. Um, we look at. Uh, do you know the Khan Academy? Do yeah. You know, yeah. so uh, Khan Academy had earlier access than us. We had access in November. I think Khan Academy probably had access in August, August. of GPT, which is yeah. like ChatGPT. And they uh, created a little chatbot for their online education called Conmigo. Okay. And Conmigo is like ChatGPT, but it's built into the educational, free educational stuff that Khan Academy has. And that artificial intelligence comes alongside the learner and has them, you know, prompts them for critical thinking and helps them not answer questions, but yeah. like a tutor would. So uh, artificial intelligence access beyond the geeks. If you're a student, now you have a tutor available to help you think through problems without needing a human, which means you don't need the resource, the money, but also uh, it's 24-7 access mm. and, and really not limited to... A certain country or a class of person. So, yeah, I think artificial intelligence is heavily accessible to all. But on the other side, our society is driven by greed and by money. Yeah. And when we have tools that can power business and replace labor forces yes. and replace roles and, and completely redefine and reshape industries, ultimately... I, I don't want to say greed, but it's greed. Mm. Um, corporate greed uh, it, it, that's tends why, to power it. Yeah. That's why I asked you that question earlier, yeah. because I, I feel um, a lot of people in the society, the society that don't 
quite understand this yeah. thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And how to use it to their own advantage, okay. like someone like you would, yep. or the entrepreneurs, sure. business owners, yeah. um, are concerned about job dis- displacement. Sure. Uh, and AI is now becoming the go-to for yep. Yep. All, everyone, right? Yep. The bosses. Um, what do you say about that? I just want you to um, explain better where you were going before I even sure. ask you this question. Sure, no problem. Uh, I think... So uh, it comes down to when you go to a store these days, you have a choice of checking out your groceries with a human or having an automated checkout. Yeah. And really the choice is yours on how you stream it. Trust me, they're watching who uses what Mm. and labor costs. But when it comes to tasks that are more mechanical, repeatable, um, you know, people love the relationship of a cashier and, you know, them greeting, you know, they have a human connection with them, but really when it comes down to checking out your groceries, a lot of people love the convenience to say that I can scan a barcode, you can scan a barcode. Are you adding a ton of value to the job? Maybe you would have more value in the organization doing something that requires the human touch. And so the relationship piece obviously is the human touch, Mm. but really the core function of uh, someone who runs a a checkout register is to get a person processed as efficiently as possible to be accurate and to be timely. Yeah. So everything else is like extra in the experience. So um, when it comes to displacing workers, it's the same as looking at automated checkout. Mm. People probably have gifts and talents that can be better used. And when you take the mundane, repeatable work away from people and to machines, that frees up people for more creativity, uh, more complex piece, more human pieces. The, the reality, though, is that that extra layer doesn't really exist to support all the people displaced mm. by, yeah, so we're, we are going to see job losses. We're going to see complete industries redefined. And it might not be decades. It, at, the, at the rate that it's going, it might be incredibly quickly. That's, that's yeah. scary, I must say. Uh, and I know there's always, uh, there are always constant developments in the AI, which is also scary, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I don't even know how you can keep up. <laughs> uh, I'm up early. <laughs> <laughs> Which AI tool do you do you enjoy the most? AI tools um, right now. So I'm just going to limit it to what I do with video and filmmaking. So I'm really excited about a tool that I'm using. Uh, so do you know who Ty Sheridan is? He's an actor in Hollywood. Yeah, the Ready um, Player One. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's he's an actor. He's got a company. Um, called uh, Wonder Studio, I think it is. Or no, that's their product. So, I, uh, let's, we'll, we'll look it up. Anyway, he's got a product that I have access to right now that um, takes the idea of motion capture. Have you seen people in suits that... Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like Avatar yeah. as yeah. an example. Uh, they take the need for all of the gear, the equipment, the rooms for motion capture, and they have reduced it down to... Uh, you supply it a video, it will be able to replace a character in that video with a custom character, do the compositing, the lighting, the modeling, and and the animation all through its service and spit back to you something that took a team to do before with only their software and none of the tools. So that feels like a little bit of magic to me, and I'm really interested in that in that software right now. I've tried a few things on my own. I've been completely blown away. When that comes to market, it's going to, well... 
I would say, yeah, yeah, for, I I think it'll give access to indie filmmakers who couldn't Mm -hmm. ever use those storytelling tools before, which is awesome. On the other side, it'll take away the the complexity and exactly the exclusivity. Um, That's like my, my, my favorite is very basic, still on a low level. It's just the AI voice modeling. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. AI voice modeling. That's that's, that's something we're heavily into. That's pretty much about it, really. Um, In Ledbridge, there is a, a lot of, which I feel personally like there should be a lot of um, people like you. There should um, be a lot of kids, youth that should just have access to you all the time to, uh, I know you've got a job, yep, you know, yep. um, to sort of learn and just um, keep this thing going and to be ahead of the game. Yeah. If they, you know, um, are you open to that? You in a, Is there sort of like a mentorship program or that, you, you know? Nothing formally. Um, I have thought about uh so as an example i did uh voice modeling recently for a client so i had 14 clients that i sat and talked to and captured a range of emotions through a microphone through them and then i through ai i've made a complete digital copy of their voice so that we can create voiceovers without them participating without them needing a microphone we have their uh cadence their um imperfections in their voice all of that good thing modeled and now if they wanted to have a podcast like you and i uh we could just chuck in the script uh have that script um tuned to the way that they would you know talk yeah and generate half an hour podcast without ever bothering them wow so <laughs> i like so, that so yeah so i look at the voice modeling side of things we did a, we did that for 14 people because we have one video that is now getting personalized for 14 people yeah. by the voiceover being replaced by each person who's not a voiceover artist but through AI, they can take the skills of the voiceover artist, the voice of someone who's not one, mash those together for a performance, and now you've got a full voiceover or podcast or what have you. So, yeah. Maybe I lost track on your question. Yeah. Uh, again, so what I was, I get where you, yeah. how you got distracted, yeah. right? So what I was trying to say is um, even through through oh, what mentorship. you did now with yeah. the kids, if they were involved yeah. with this, yeah. they could actually learn so yeah. many from you. So I know, so. I know why I went there, because uh, I had a consulting gig after that to teach the client that I had how I did what I did. And I don't really hold dear or hold close to my chest things that I know. I feel that information should be free. I feel that what I know, uh, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I'm the only person that knows what I know. And I know that anything I know can be completely learned on YouTube by someone who is passionate. Yeah. just interested really and put in the time. So I don't feel that I'm anything special, but I did think there was enough unique, you know, curation of information on how to do that, how to do that, all the taking into account all the testing and failure that I did and uh, having a smooth workflow, making a YouTube video and giving that freely away back. And so that's, that's something that I'm interested in is making small little condensed courses, not for, not for money, but just to get it out of my head. And so that someone down the long line, I, I might be on a job, I might be out of town, hits me up and says, Hey, teach me about voice modeling. Or, I'm yeah. really interested in this. I can say, you know what? I thought of you and I made a 10 minute deal, uh, so that you can watch it and then I can replicate me without having to, to be there. So that's, that's rather than mentorship one-on-one, which yeah. is a very time intensive one-on-one yes. kind of thing. If I can add to the value in any way by creating resources like that, I am, I, I am, I'm, that's something I'm going to pursue. Awesome. Good stuff. And lastly, um, 
what are you most excited about for the future of Leverage, both in tech, yeah, in create, create, you know, people in the creative space, yeah. and yeah. Well, uh, I guess what I'm excited about are uh, s- some of the spaces that are opening up. So, like, have you have you visited the, the redevelopment of our post no, office building? No, no, I haven't. So the post. So uh, Summus is the company that I have a relationship with there. We've collaborated before. Okay. Uh, I love the team at Summus because their vision is, you know, they've turned the post building into something that feels a bigger city, feels mm. larger than life. It's yeah. beautiful. They've done a phenomenal job. Uh, but I think tomorrow they're having uh, an opening of their hybrid workspace, which is uh, like a your typical workspace scenario, but done at a higher level and and really feels like what a community should be mm. with creative. So I'm excited about the the investment in Lethbridge around things that might not be deemed typical. Uh, so that that's one of them I'm I'm absolutely excited about. Uh, when it comes to Lethbridge, I can see that we have. We've survived and been resilient on many different transformations. So we talked about coal banks being, you know, the the origins of Lethbridge being coal. Mm. And, you know, in the 50s, oil and gas sort of changed the coal mining situation to a point where that wasn't profitable anymore. And so we have transitioned from that. Our agri-food, agribusiness research pieces here in Lethbridge, I was on... Like they're phenomenal. I was on the production crew for a neuroscience documentary okay. that showcases the brain trust that we have at the University of Lethbridge. There is a legacy here, right from here in neuroscience, spawned right here, impacts our community, but the world, because really the the fathers of modern neuroscience practice kind of origin story is here in Lethbridge. Wow. Yeah. So Ian and Brian, and, and that's not my documentary, but I got to be a camera operator on that and listen firsthand of those researchers telling their stories and, and just experiencing life on, on their, their ranch, you know, and yeah. that kind of thing is wild. I, I love this place. I, I, I love it too. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love with it every yeah. day by day. Cause I feel like the more um, time you spend in Lethbridge provided that you put yourself out to yep. meet people and speak to people yep. and you start feeling the dynamism of the city totally and it's like okay there is yeah. dynamics actually yeah there yeah <laughs> yeah know? but you have to be the one to to reach out you can't just let it come to you i agree there are people here like uh you just had jared from rovu on here yeah i am in awe of what they're doing here right mm. i i love the for, like a the gentleman three piece yeah. that just went up yeah beautiful mm. um the idea around parametric design for furniture or yeah. sculpture or just like looking at even like what steven's doing with his place with with the art gallery yeah and forget about the floor like the whole place is 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 nuts mm-hmm. there are people here that are world class and there's a hub of creativity that unless you unless you're connected you might miss it so getting connected, I think, is is the trick. It and, is the key. Yeah, it's absolutely. The key. Yes, sir, Mr. Wolf. Thank you so much for your yeah. time. We really appreciate you and wish you all the best. Uh, and I must ask you, um, what is your social media? What's your favorite social media that you well, use? Well, the the favorite one or the one I should be using? The favorite one, huh. the one so, people easily accessible to. Because I want people to see your work and just eat you up yeah, just like that, and you yeah. will eat them back right well, away. Well, thank you. Um, I tend to post on Instagram a ton. I do almost daily an Instagram story about 
what I consider nothing, but people enjoy it. Uh, the handle is at Warpheus because I'm old. But do you are you familiar with the movie trilogy called The Matrix? Yeah, yeah, no Matrix. Okay, so the, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> so, so his character is Morpheus. Yeah. And at the camera store, they you know it was a long time ago. I'd walk in and they'd be like. Oh, there's that know-it-all guy, okay. Warpheus. Warpheus, you know? and that's yeah. W-A-R-F-E-O-U-S. Yeah, so that's my personal Instagram. My business one I kind of neglect, okay. but I'm very active on my personal awesome. Instagram. Good stuff. Thank I you answer so, DMs. Thank you so much once oh, again. Thanks, Nelson. Uh, massive thanks to every single one of you for tuning in once again, and be on the lookout for our next episode. Peace. Right on. Thanks very much.